You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville Audio Podcast. Today's the second week. Uh, we're in a six-week series on the, on the book of Ephesians, and we're having a chance to walk through that book. And last week, we learned a few things. As being the first week, some of it was overview um, about the book itself. The book um, of Ephesians is actually a letter. Um, Paul wrote a letter to the people in the city of Ephesus. Um, but it's really different than all of his other letters. Most of the letters in the New Testament are written by Paul. Um, but this one is really different compared to his other ones. There's no personal greetings at the beginning. Usually in his other letters, he says, hey, to so-and-so, and hey, shout-outs to you, and he's talking to people in that group. You don't see any of that here in this book of Ephesians. Um, he doesn't reference specific theological topics that are very common in his other letters. Um, what most have come to realize is that the book of Ephesians really isn't the letter in the true sense. It's actually a sermon that was kind of converted. So most of the content of it, it reads like, like a, a manuscript, as if you were writing out someone's sermon, and that they've made it, uh, personalized it, if you will, to make it look more that way. So it's very interesting that way. The book, there's six chapters. The first three have to do with our identity in Christ. Who are we in Christ? The second three have to do with what does that mean for us? What are, we, what, is the, what, are the, what are the implications of having an identity in Christ? The book of Ephesians, and Paul's writing to this group, he's not writing to the people to tell them they need to change. He's not criticizing them for their behavior. He's not condemning them, saying they've got to do better. It really, it's a call to all the Christ followers to be resolved, to be firmly resolved to what God has called you. And so it's that type of an exhortation, that type of an encouragement to the people there. And, and actually, in, in fact, it was reflected in the video I showed last week, part of this letter really does sound like um, a pre-game locker room speech. Any of you who played sports and the coach is giving you the rah-rah, we can do this. That's kind of what Paul is doing here in this letter um, and, and, and within much of this letter. Last week, we learned specifically that what it means to have our identity in Christ. <clears throat> and then today we're going to look a little bit further, um, um, dig a little bit more into this. There's, um, there's a few of us here at Grace Covenant that are in an interesting season of life um, in that we're finding our, we're at a stage where our kids are getting married. I mean, our daughter got married a year ago. Betsy, our, not Beth, I'm sorry, our oldest son, Betsy's in a, our oldest son is getting married next spring. Um, there's, uh, you know, Jody and Jan Barrick's son was just married a couple weeks ago. Um, Paul and Susan's daughter was just married about a month ago, two months ago. Uh, that was, uh, Celia was married recently. And Fred and Nettie, your daughter was married not too long ago as well. So we're just, we find ourselves at this stage of life. Um, and I find myself feeling certain emotions um, at this time. And... Uh, I think probably the best way to set this up is anyone who knows me and has met Betsy and me realizes immediately I married way over my head, Um, way over my head. And so I clearly got the better end of this deal. I am still in love with the person I married 36 years ago. And I still think I'm the most fortunate guy in the world. I wake up every day thinking that way. So I sit in the context now with my kids I want my kids to have that same experience. 
as they're getting married, I'm hoping and, and I want so much for them to feel that same sense of love and passion and that same sense of commitment towards their spouse. And I want their spouse to have that same sense of passion and commitment towards them. And I just, so it's an interesting, for me, is to feel how strong those feelings are um, at this point in time. Those feelings of emotions you know, that we have for our kids is really the same type of emotion that Paul is showing in his letters to the people here. Except he's not wanting them to have strong feelings for a spouse. He's calling people, he's asking and wanting people, he wants the people to experience God in the same way that he had. He didn't had an amazing encounter with God and has this relationship with God that really changed his life, transformed his life in such a profound way. And he's wanting that same thing for his people. The people in Ephesus, that's his desire and that's what he wants. See, Paul was aware that it was possible to be very religious and not experience a personal relationship with God. Paul epitomized that. That's who he was. was he was at the height of religious power and authority before he, was, his, he, was convert, before he came to Christ. It is possible to know about God, but not know God. And like the relationship that I would want for my kids, or I think any of us would want for our kids, our relationship with God should be ever-deepening and expanding as we come to experience more of who God is and his work in our lives. Today we're going to look at two prayers that Paul gives in the book of Ephesians. One's in chapter three, or I'm sorry, one's in chapter one, and the other one is in chapter three. Uh, what's interesting is they're not actually prayers. They're referred to as prayers, but they're not actually prayers. Paul is telling the people how he prays for them. So it's not an actual prayer where he's praying to God. He's telling the people, this is how I pray for you. When I do pray, this is what I talk to God about, and this is how I pray for you. As their spiritual father, he wanted them to experience God just like he had. And I have no doubt that Paul would want the same for us today as well. So we're going to put the, those verses on this, these two prayers on the screen. I'm going to read them. Uh, again, the, the first prayer is in Ephesians chapter 1. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. Remembering you in my prayers, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the hev- in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Then jump down or scroll over to chapter 3, verse 14. Paul says this prayer. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. 
And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power to gather with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I'm so very thankful for um, Paul's words here as he uh, just gives the insight as to how he's thinking and feeling, the emotions he has for the people, what he wants for them. Um, in, re- with, in their relationship with you. Father, I have no doubt that Paul would want the same for us today, that all those who would call Jesus as Lord, that this is the, his desire. So Father, for the words that uh, we've read, and Father, as we dig a little deeper, I ask that you would help us to see, uh, Lord, help us to understand, to recognize uh, what you're saying to us. And Holy Spirit, we do ask for you to speak to each of us and only, as only you can. And so, Father, I commit the remaining time we have in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's break down these passages just a little bit. Um, What exactly does Paul want for us? There's a lot of words in there. There's a lot of things he was saying. So what does Paul exactly want for us? Well, one of the things, uh, he wants us to have a deeper understanding of who God is. He wants us to have a deeper understanding of who God is. Um, A little over a week ago, Kanye West came out with a new album um, called Jesus is King um, and has created quite a stir within the music industry and among Christ followers. Um, now I realize that for many of you here, you're probably like, who is this person? And uh, th- that's, that's fine. Um, uh, so he's, I don't know Kanye West. I don't necessarily listen to his music. Um, I can't say I, we recognize him in one of his songs. I've never met him. I only know him by reputation. Um, he's incredibly successful, a really, 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 really wealthy entertainer. Um, he's married to Kim Kardashian and all the drama that comes with her family. Um, he's had a very public feud with singer Taylor Swift for the pa- uh, past few years. And there seem to be some inconsistencies between what he says and what he does. Um, so if someone were to ask me, what do you think about Kanye West? I really don't know how to answer you. I don't know. Um, all I have are a few snippets of his life. Some good, some not so much. I don't know the person, and I never want to judge anyone solely on their reputation, good or bad. The problem with any reputation is that they are never entirely accurate. No one's as ever bad as they're made out to be. People are, well, obviously, they're rarely as bad as made out to be. Sometimes they are. But rarely are they that bad. But no one's never as good as they're made out to be. Um, the reputa- a person's reputation is not the person. I need to know someone before I can make a firm judgment about them and about their life. Some people have a perception of God based on his reputation. What others have said about him or what others have expressed to them. Paul is telling us in his words, I don't want you to know God by his reputation. I want you to know him for yourself. 
I love this verse. It's in verse 17 of the first of chapter one. I keep asking, I keep asking. Like this is a continual prayer. I ask and ask and ask time and again. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. So that you may know him better. Why does this matter? Why is this such a big deal? I'm convinced that your understanding of who God is will determine the nature of your relationship with him. How you perceive God has a direct correlation to the nature of your relationship with him. The amount of trust you have in God depends entirely on how you view him. And while there are many qualities that describe God in scripture, Paul points out two very specific ones I think are significant. In verse 18, we get a clear sense that God is for us. He's on our side. He's advocating for us. He wants the best for us. And then in the next verse, in verse 19, we get this sense that God is incredibly powerful. There's no limit to God. How could we not want a deeper relationship with God? So Paul wants us to have a deeper relationship, or I'm sorry, a deeper understanding of who God is. He also wants us to be strengthened by and live out the power of the Holy Spirit. A couple different points in the life of Jesus when he was talking to his followers in, in the book of John, he makes this comment. He says, it is, good, it is for your good that I am going away. He's foretelling his death, resurrection, and when he will leave them. It's good, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. All right? So he's not just going to abandon them on their own. And then in the book of Acts, we see the very last, one of the very last things, last words recorded from Jesus. <clears throat> but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. The Holy Spirit is there for our benefit. And again, there's multiple things that we can say about the Spirit and the characteristics of the Spirit, Holy Spirit and why the Spirit is there and but there's three that we've, we've noted in your outline because it speaks directly to what we've been talking about here in this passage from Paul is that the Holy Spirit indwells. The Holy Spirit lives within us. When you surrender to your life, when you give your life to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit enters your life at that very moment. You don't have to do anything else. The Holy Spirit, part of that transit, part of that salvation experience is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, the Holy Spirit instructs. Some of you are facing some really big decisions in life. And we desperately need the Holy Spirit's guidance and wisdom and direction. And just the sense of, God, what are you wanting me to do in this case? And thirdly, the Holy Spirit empowers. There's clearly things that are way beyond our capacity to deal with, way beyond our ability to control. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to walk through those things in life. You are not alone. The Holy Spirit is with you. You are not alone. The Holy Spirit's with you. And that's one of Paul's prayers. So Paul wants us to have a deeper understanding of who God is. He wants us to be strengthened by and live out the power of the Holy Spirit. And number three, he, Paul also wants us to know the greatness of God's love. Verse 17 and 18 says, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. To experience the love of God is to be transformed by that love. 
To experience the love of God is to be transformed by that love. However, if you think that God expresses his love to you just for your happiness and, and your con, con, contentment, you're missing the point. That's not the only reason why he does that. Are, are you familiar? Have any of you heard the, the idea of, of dog and cat theology? Okay, so here it is. So uh, some of you who are dog and cat lovers will appreciate this. A dog looks at you and they think, you know, you feed me, you pet me, you provide shelter for me, you love me. Wow, you must be God. A cat looks at you, says, you feed me, you uh, pet me, you shelter me, you love me. Wow, I must be God. <laughs> they both look at the same information, but because one is, and I'll, I'll humanize a, a cat here, because one is self-centered, they come, to a, they come to completely different conclusions about the nature of that relationship. Knowing the love of God transforms us and enables us to live out the love of God to others. Yes, there's a transformational element to it, but that's not where it ends. The idea that God does this for us, he transforms our lives so that we could be of influence and be of effect on other people. It's not just about us. God's love allows us to overlook the faults of others. God's love allows us to forgive those who have wronged us, to reach out to those in need, to be a witness of Christ in the world. Because he first loved us, we are then able to do those things. Then lastly, Paul wants us to live in and live out the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more, immeasure, I mean, you can't measure it, that's what he's saying. It's bigger than you can think of. More than we could, all we could ask or imagine. Imagine that. I mean, just, he can do more than you can even think or comprehend. To him, according to his power, that is at work within us. There is no limit to what God can do, but often we limit God through our own thinking and our own actions. You know, at the beginning of my uh, talk here, I re referenced, you know, my feelings as a parent towards their kids and what that looks like and what that means as they're getting married and all parents want the best for their kids. Here's the thing. Maybe it's our child, maybe it's their spouse, or maybe it's a joint effort, but not every couple lives happily ever after. And yet within every fiber of my being, I know that's not God's intent. I know God's intent is different than that. God desires to do immeasurably more in and through our lives as we seek him, submit to him, and humbly live before him. Life isn't always fair. And I'm not going to pretend otherwise. My challenge to you this morning, if you find yourself in a difficult season, pursue God, push into God, don't pull away from him. The goal is to know God more deeply, not because of what you can get, but because of who you become. As we were working through this, you know, a few weeks ago, um, the, the sermon outline and Paul's prayer, we actually thought, wouldn't it be kind of cool if we could take the major ideas and concepts and put them together into a single prayer 
and make that a prayer. And you actually have the result of that work in your worship guide. Um, and so uh, I, wanna, I thought it'd be really kind of fun for us to read that together. It's a personal prayer. We've personalized it. So we've, we've uh, combined the ideas and thoughts. <clears throat> so if you would uh, just pull that out. And if you don't have one, this, someone next to you has one, I'm sure they'll share. If not, give them an elbow and then they will. But let's, uh, let's read this prayer together, shall we? We can read it out loud. Glorious Father, I come to you today with freedom and confidence. I trust the work you are doing in my life, and I thank you for all your goodness for me. God of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I ask again that you would give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation that I may truly know you better. May the eyes of my heart be opened so I intimately understand the hope you have called me to, the glorious inheritance you have provided for me, and the incomparable power you have given me as your child. I thank you that the same mighty strength and power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive and working in me until all your life fills all of my life in every way. Strengthen me with the power of your Holy Spirit so that Christ would live within me today in a greater way than I have ever known. Root me and establish me in the power of your love. Help me live out the extravagant expanse, the great length, the width, height, and depth of the love. I am open and receive your full measure today. Help me live out your expansive love in my relationships with others. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all I ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within me, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I thought, what a great prayer. I was uh, just really happy to be a part of, of, of that. So my challenge to us this morning is, is this. First, if you haven't done so already, surrender your life to Jesus. Allow him to work in your life the way that Paul is talking about in his letters. It's not about being religious. It's not about having all the right answers. It's about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so if you haven't done so, surrender your life to Jesus first and foremost. Uh, secondly, uh, we gave you a devotional last week. Uh, there, if, you, if you weren't here last week and didn't get one. You know what's, what's interesting, reflecting back in this letter that Paul wrote. Again, remember, he, he, um, he visited them. And when he came back, he sent a letter. Um, it didn't work. He heard that they were not behaving. So he sent the second letter, which is actually 1 Corinthians. Um, and it still didn't work. We actually know from 2 Corinthians that Paul actually uh, made a visit, another visit, a second visit. It's not recorded in Acts. But he, in 2 Corinthians, he talks about the time he came back to them again because they just weren't getting it. He'd had a personal visit, two different letters. He'd sent different people, and they just were really struggling. So he went out, and it says that he had a painful meeting, is how he described it, a painful visit. And... Uh, <clears throat> So it was a come to Jesus meeting, I guess, where he just said, laid it on the line. And we know from 2 Corinthians and the content that we've seen there that 
they finally began to get it because the tone is very different. They finally discovered that the significance in life comes from serving one another, not from being selfish and wanting things your own way. Serving one another is the key. May that always be true for the people of Grace Covenant Statesville. Let's pray. Father, this morning we've had a chance to, um, again, just to to sing and lift our voices and worship. We've had a chance to give. We've had a chance to talk and share and and laugh at some goofy videos. And uh, Father, again, all of it is because of our love and, and our passion for you and our desire to live out our faith. And Father, even though our faith is incredibly personal, it was never meant to be individualistic. It was always intended to be lived in relationship with other Christ followers. So God, thank you for the people of Grace Covenant Statesville. Father, thank you for what you're building and developing here and that you've called us to be a part of it. And uh, Lord, our desire is to honor you in all that we say and do. Father, if there's anyone here who's feeling a little left out, I pray, God, that an extra dose of grace would be on them this morning. Father, that uh, maybe there's feelings that have been hurt or maybe things didn't set quite right. Father, I pray that you would heal that in the name of Jesus right now. And Father, maybe there's, as we're just sitting here reflecting, maybe, Father, someone comes to mind that maybe we weren't as gracious as we could have been, and maybe we need to go back to them and ask for forgiveness and make sure that that relationship is right. Uh, Father, I pray that you would protect this congregation from those seeds of anger, from those seeds of strife and division, that they would not take root and that they would die quickly. Father, that your Holy Spirit would protect us as a congregation. So, Father, we thank you again for this day. And, Lord, as we leave this place, I ask, Father, that you would uh, continue to go before us and prepare the way. Father, that you give your people favor with uh, the tasks they put their hands to, with the relationships and the people they meet. Father, that each would be blessed this day, I pray. It is in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.